2: Welcome to the Delicious Podcast Extra portion, this week from Hokem Estate in Norfolk, home to one of Britain's favourite beaches and the 8th Earl of Leicester, whose ancestor Thomas Cook, or Cook of Norfolk as he was known, was one of the true heroes of British farming. Now the estate has brought his spirit of revolution to the millions of visitors who come to camp, walk or cycle to show how conservation, farming and education can change the world. I climbed aboard the virtual tractor to meet Education Officer Sue Pennington, who told me what the estate's Field to Fork exhibition was all about.
3: We are trying to connect um, visitors with the land that they're visiting, looking at where their food comes from, how we manage the landscape, uh, but ultimately, yes, yeah, about the field to the forks.
2: And how do people respond to it? Are they amazed,
3: or do, they, do you feel that they know this? So, initially, they're quite sceptical. They think farming's boring. Uh, and then they come in and they love it because it's really hands-on uh, and really engaging, and they're really surprised at what we grow, uh, and also how we grow it. So, for example, sugar peat, So many people don't realise that that's in the ground in Norfolk, and that's a, you know in the cafe on the tables.
2: And do they get the whole sort of the history of revolution that's been going on here for eight generations?
3: Some do. Some learn about cooking Norfolk at school. Um, uh, the older generation and then the younger ones no, they've got no idea um, but that's what I do my role is to educate them and you know, teach them about local history and about the estate
2: But it's not just videos and virtual tractors at Hocum visitors can wander around reading about the modern farming methods used on the estate to counter the effects of climate change and solar erosion and they can settle down to the fork bit of the experience at the estate's Victoria Inn I asked chef Michael Chamberlain what that looks like on the plate.
0: It's just a case of making sure that everything, as much as possible, we use from the assay itself um, or from sustainable suppliers around the area. Um, we've got the walled gardens. Obviously, we use fruit and veg from pumpkins, uh, squash, fruit, um, beans in the summer. Um, and then, obviously, we've got the venison off the estate, uh, which, obviously, Kevin, our headkeeper, shoots for us. Um, John and his team who look after the cattle... And then, obviously, James and his team who look after the potatoes. Um, yeah,
2: so these guys have been to probably been to the exhibition. They've seen the field to fork uh, exhibition. They've really understood the farming. And then they come here to the Victoria and they eat the food. Now, do they need to, to understand that whole journey in they, order to really get what they, you're they doing? They don't
0: need to understand it, but obviously it helps if they understand it because they can see... The locality of it, they can see the seasonality of it. We don't use stuff out of season. Um, we use stuff within the seasons it is. And even from the, even from the uh, wild, the wild herbs, the wild stuff which we use from the marshes, the sand fire, um the sea aster, the sea beet. It, it's all literally. If it's not in season, we don't use it.
2: After the estate was flooded in 1953 and 1978, and neighbouring Wells next the sea was devastated in the tidal surge of 2013 the estate is intimately acquainted with the impact of climate change. Paul Hoverson, Director of Farming, explained why the old ways have to be replaced with this new agricultural philosophy if we're to regenerate our soil and provide enough food for the future. I
1: started my farming career in in the mid-70s, left agricultural college in 1979, and at that time there was new farming methods coming in. Fertilisers, but especially pesticides came into it. Growth regulators, fungicides, better herbicides, and we started to change our farming systems. Interestingly enough, the first farm that I had practical work on, we used to go grow cover crops. That as soon as you harvested one crop, if it's going to be left for a spring crop over the winter you leave it uh, with a green cover crop in. Just something so instead that the, of, the, the yes, sheep can eat. What became the norm, that we would leave it bare because it was an expense to establish mm-hmm. a cover crop, we would then plough it in November. Mm-hmm. And November, as we know, is a very wet month. Mm-hmm. When you do a deep cultivation, you release naturally nutrients and the water come at the same time. Yeah. It actually now has taken us so long to realise that was completely the wrong thing to do. Yeah. So now yeah. we plant the cover crops straight after harvest with a minimum tillage operation they grow they still absorb the autumn sunshine and a year like this when we had an october full oh, of sunshine awesome. we it's like us invested in a bank we've just absorbed that and we're now storing it in the ground until next year when we can release it for the spring and, and
2: it's not wasted it's and it's it's
1: it's eaten by the sheep yeah. who fertilize it so they then fertilize it yes and tramp it and, and they, they drop their droppings behind them, yeah. and they Which then get released as nutrients. Yeah. So sunshine, sheep and nutrients released, and a good crop the following Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. So it is going back to the old, old ways, but absolutely. actually with wisdom. Paul told me why the legacy of Cook of Norfolk is still so relevant today.
1: It used to lead the way in the late 18th century, early 19th century, when... Cook Offer created what became the Agricultural Revolution and, and his farming principles later spread all over the world.
2: And when you're talking about revolution, it really was, wasn't it? It was after the Enclosures Act yes. where lots of people had fled to the cities and we needed to create a lot more food to feed people who just didn't have access to the food from the land anymore.
1: He brought modern agriculture back to the land. He realised that we needed to produce more protein and we needed to have more livestock, we needed to produce more cereals so we could feed this increased population.
2: But modern industrial farming, which grew out of the need to feed the growing population without access to their own land, is counting the cost of what it's done to the soil. I asked Paul and farm manager James Beamish if repairing the land meant avoiding pesticides.
1: We don't avoid it, we reduce it. We stimulate the crops. We make sure the soil is in good conditions so that soil naturally releases this huge bank of nutrients it's got in it and, and it can absorb the sunshine who is the energy that makes the crop grow. And,
2: and you do that through vegetables.
1: We use a lot of different tools in our toolbox with you know, the use of agrochemicals or, or fertilisers you know, it's probably, you know, the last one we want to use. So, you know, the biggest tool in our toolbox is our long rotation so that we grow one crop every six years. What you do by crop rotation, you get crop residue, you get a bit of structure, the soil becomes more fragile, it absorbs water better, it holds it more, and it can drain it as well if you get heavy rains. Mm-hmm
2: back at Victoria Inn, as I settled down to a dinner of belted Galloway beef chef Michael Chamberlain told me how field to fork is about having the best ingredients to play with in the kitchen. It couldn't get higher welfare no, it it. Couldn't, I mean no. it is no. literally outside it's, the window. People
0: can sit there having their lunch and they can look across the road and they can see the cattle walking across the field, sorry the road.
2: Pasture fed yeah. throughout the summer. It is
0: yeah grass fed, um, sheep's all salt marsh as well so the, the lamb the flavour from the lamb is just astronomically. It's it, it's one of the, probably one of the best lamb I've used.
2: And importantly, you know, when they go in for the winter,
0: they're eating the silage. Um, they're obviously eating the, the sugar beet tops and stuff, which obviously have kept, come off the farm as well. Yeah. There's no waste from anything. It's all it's all put back into the system itself.
2: Yeah. What do you think, old Thomas Cook would have thought of the way that you're doing this?
0: Hopefully, he, he'd think it's wonderful because obviously it is keeping everything on the estate, and it's not outsourcing it to other people so fingers crossed it had proven a very big way so
2: yeah it's taken us a long time but
0: yes. the early revolutionary yes. spirit
2: of Thomas Cook's come back yes. to, to have in it has indeed yeah thanks for listening to the Delicious Podcast extra portion I'll be back next week with a July podcast packed with stories from the world of Delicious magazine so do subscribe and you'll never miss a bit and while you're there do rate and review by scrolling down on your app to find those all important stars see you next week